0: And so I invite you to join me in Luke chapter nine, verse one. I was thinking about this week, um, the last couple of weeks actually, and it struck me that um, we certainly remember the difficult moments. But it struck me that I have these memories in my head of the moments where I got good news. When something was was not right, something was distressing, or something was out of my control, and I got good news. That, good news. I remember those moments. One of them was when recently they found cancer in my nose, and the doctor was, I was laying there, and my nose was cut open, and and Becky was there staring at me, and they were doing their thing, and he leaves the room, does the biopsy, and he comes back, and he said, I got all the cancer. I got I'll never forget that moment. My nose is wide open. There's blood everywhere. He's yet to put me back together, but they got all the cancer Recently, I took my vehicle in to get um, a simple repair done, and I got a phone call saying that the cost was going to be $1,800 to fix the repair. And I think the, the service writer paused on purpose to just create some tension because then he said, it's all covered by the warranty. It's all covered by the warranty. I remember that moment. I was thinking recently, it's coming up now for me in July, for Becky and I. Uh, it's been thir- almost 37 years that she said yes. And you may not know the story briefly. I was very, very sick. Um, I honestly thought there was a chance that I wasn't going to survive the infection that I had, the staph infection, and I chose that romantic moment to ask Becky uh, to marry, her, marry me and gave her a ring, and she said yes. She said yes. And that, that's a moment that I'll never forget. That was really, really good news. Um, I've been a papa now 10 times and that never gets old when one of my, my children say, hey, you're, you're going to be a papa again. They've done it in different ways. They've, they've shared that news, but it's always good news. And I will never forget those moments when I was told I'm going to be a, a grandpa or papa again. Ah, oh, the Niners won the Super Bowl. Do you remember that moment? They went to the Super Oh, wait, no, that was a dream I had. Sorry. They They went to the Super Bowl and the good news was, not good news. They did not win the Super Bowl. But we remember those moments. We remember the moments where the, 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 whatever it is that we're facing, whatever the challenge, whatever the hardship is, whatever the unknown is, we remember the moments when finally through that pain or through that frustration, through that cloud, we get good news. And I feel like this is one of those moments that we're in uh, as a church or as families, as, as a country, even as the world Pretty much everything, when you, when you turn into the new, tune into the news or wherever it is that you're getting your information, it's just bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. And we're so ready for that moment where we hear the good news. We hear good news. And I thought about some of that good news. We have a vaccine. Won't it be great when we hear that we have a vaccine? We've discovered how to prepare a vaccine. Or how about this? We get to go back to work. Some of you are so ready to hear that good news, it's okay to go back to work. Or moms, dads, families, the kids get to go back to school. That may be for some time, but won't that be good news for families to say, you know, we're not all going to be in the house all the time. Or we can go outside. We can go to the park. We can go to a baseball game. We can go back to the things that we enjoy doing. Or what about our medical workers when we get the good news that they can rest, they can, they can kind of calm down. They can shut down a little bit and get some refreshment and relaxation from all the stress and the hard work that they've been putting in taking care of people. For some of you, the good news is going to be we have toilet paper. You know, we found toilet paper. We went to Costco and there was actually toilet paper. The truth is we, we really could use some good news right about now. With all that's been going, we don't, I don't know the answer to any of those things. We don't know the timing. We don't know how this is going to continue to play out. But we really could use some good news. And I, and I believe that what we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's been put in a song recently. It's the best news ever. It's not just good news, it's great news. And my heart is that as we spend these moments together, that we can focus in on some good news news. And that's really what we have in Luke chapter 9. If you've been um, a part of here at this gathering at this location, or you've been following along online, you know that we're walking through the gospel of Luke in in 2020. And our heart, our goal, our target is can we bring Jesus into focus? Can we really come to understand who Jesus is? Can we see him with clarity and then respond by faith to who he is, who he claims to be, and what he claimed to do And so we come to chapter 9 this morning and I really see good news here. And it's framed in a certain way. And you maybe already have picked up on this phrase. But if you haven't, it's this idea of the kingdom of God. Luke begins to really lay out this this concept, the kingdom of God. This is not the first time he's mentioned it. In chapter 4 he mentions it where he records Jesus saying, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns because I was sent for this purpose. And then in chapter 8, again, it's Jesus. He's traveling from one town and village to another, and he's preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, this phrase kingdom of God shows up 71 times in the New Testament. 52 of the times are in the four gospels, and 31 of those 52 are in the gospel of Luke. So as Luke sets out to write his gospel, and he tells Theophilus, I want to present you with the facts. I want you to have exactly what you need to know who Jesus is and what your response to him should be. In the midst of that narrative that we have as the gospel of Luke, 31 times he records this phrase, the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's Jesus saying it, sometimes it's others referring to it, but he really lays out a pattern. There's an emphasis on the kingdom of God. And multiple times the kingdom of God is connected, as Jesus did it in Luke 4 and Luke 8, to this idea of good news. So why is the kingdom of God good news? Why do we need to know about the kingdom of God this morning so that we can have some good news to plant ourselves in? Go back to Luke chapter 9 with me, verse 1. We read it earlier. Go back there. Summoning the twelve, Jesus calls the twelve that he has recently appointed from his followers. He gives them power and authority over the demons and power to heal diseases. Do you see what he's doing here? He's sharing with them, he's giving them power and authority over the spiritual world, the spiritual realm, Satan and his demons, and the physical realm. He gives them power and authority over all demons. Recently we saw him set a man free from demonic possession and sent the demons into the pigs. He's already established that he has this power. We've also seen him heal many people. He even raised someone from the dead. So he's demonstrated his power over the physical world and the spiritual world. And he's sending out his 12. He calls them together. He gives them power and authority over the demons and power to heal diseases. And then he sent them. He sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God. Don't miss that that, that context there. So he first, he just reminds them that he has power and authority over the spiritual realm, the physical world. He gives them authority, his representatives, his disciples, over the spiritual world and the physical world, and he connects it to the kingdom of God. That's important. Hold on to that. He sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then he gives them some interesting instructions. I don't know if you caught this before, if it sparked an interest in you. It has in me as I've studied this. Take nothing for the road. Now, some of you, that's easy to do. For others like me, this is really flies in the face of who God seems to have shaped me to be. What do you mean take nothing for the road? Don't fill the car up with gas. Don't make sure you have water in the car um, and things like that. Make sure your phone is charged. Make sure you got GPS. or What do you mean don't take, don't take anything? Take nothing for the road, he tells them. And then he gives them specifics because some of them are like me. Does that mean I can't bring my phone? Does that mean I can't? Hold on. Take nothing for the road, he told them. No walking stick, no traveling bag, overnight bag, no bread, no food, no money, no credit card, and don't take an extra shirt, a change of clothes. Wow. When you get to a place, you enter a house, whatever house you enter in the particular village that you're in, stay there and leave from there. That means stay there the entire time you're in that village proclaiming the good news. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you, meaning the town, then when you leave that town, that village, shake the dust off from your feet as a testimony against them that they rejected the message or the good news of the kingdom of God. So they went out. They receive this instruction. This had to be somewhat exciting. I think it probably was a little nerve-wracking too. This is a new thing. But they do it. They go out and they travel from village to village. And what do they do? They proclaim the good news. And they healed. They were healing everywhere. Everywhere they went. And so they took what he gave them. Power and authority over, over the spiritual world. And the power to heal diseases. The physical world. And this message, this good news... Of the kingdom of God, and they went and they did it. So why is the kingdom of God good news? Let me suggest first it's because of this. The kingdom of God is here. What Jesus is is announcing is something very significant, something that has, has been talked about in his word through his prophets and through his people, and God has made made this clear that God's intent is to dwell with his people. And when Jesus comes to earth and he takes on what we celebrate at Christmas, a a, a human body, and he's born as a baby in Bethlehem, and he grows up, and and then his ministry begins, and he's walking among his creation for those three years of ministry. And as Andy prayed, it's going to culminate with his crucifixion, his, his burial, and his resurrection. If you don't know the end of the story, there's a spoiler alert. He's going to come, he's actually going to be with his people, with creation, with human beings, and the kingdom of God is going to be established on earth in some form. Still not clear what that means yet, but what is clear is Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is here. Now why is this such good news? It's good news because what's the first thing that we do when we walk into difficult times? What's the first thing? Yesterday, this is, is, is small, but yesterday I had a water line in my backyard. I go in the backyard and there's a big puddle in the middle of the grass. And, and so I start digging and I'm all muddy and there's this, now there's a big hole and I, I find that one of my, my faucet lines, the outside, thankfully not the inside, but the outside water has a break and there's water everywhere. And I'm out there and it's like, this is not on my agenda. This is not on my plan. God, what in the world? And the first thing I do is like, what happened, God? I mean, obviously, you didn't want this to happen. This really messed up my day. And that's silly. But what about when we walk through a health challenge? A serious disease such as what we're, we're facing today, and people are dying. What, what about when financially things fall apart? Or we lose our job, or we don't have a job to go to, or we, can't, we don't have enough money to meet our needs or pay our bills, or relationally things fall apart. And we have questions. We, have, we wonder, where is... This is what we do. This is where we go. This is the first thing we do. Where is God, or why has He forgotten us? Why does He not care about us anymore? Why is this good news? Because Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is here. I'm here. I'm with you. And that means in the midst of the dark times and the struggles and the pain and the confusion and the worry and the stress... And the questions, how come and when and why, the kingdom of God is here. The good news is that God is with us. He's come to us. And Jesus, at this point in his ministry, he sends out his disciples and he says, spread the good news. Tell people the good news. Well, well what, what the kingdom of God, they're going to wonder, what is that? Well, I'm going to give you a power to show that the kingdom of God represents authority over the spiritual realm. Satan is not the ultimate boss, and he's not going to get his way. And the kingdom of God has authority over the physical, over your world, over this world that God created for us to live in, over this body, it has authority over this body, so that nothing that happens in the spiritual world or the physical world is outside of his control or his presence. Some of you will remember that when his disciples asked him, they asked Jesus, how do we pray? How should we pray? He said this. He said Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Hallowed be your name. And then he says, pray this. Your kingdom come, your kingdom, the kingdom of God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think this is probably the clearest and simplest definition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where his will is honored, obeyed, and accomplished. So right now, the kingdom of God is right here and right here, because I am one of His. He, he redeemed me, and he, Jesus is my King. And so, my life will reflect the kingdom of God in my words and my actions and my behavior when God's will is honored, obeyed, and accomplished in here and in here, so here and here. Your kingdom come, your kingdom be realized here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what does that look like in heaven? Does anybody have any, any thoughts that, that when Jesus speaks, when God speaks in heaven, that it's not instantly honored and obeyed? There was a time, there was a moment where it wasn't. Do you remember that moment? When Lucifer said, hey, hold on, hold on, who made you the boss? Who made you king? I think I can be God. And in that moment, rebellion, sin entered into that, the presence of God because Satan said, no, I'm not going to do your will. And we know what ensued, what followed that moment. But in God's kingdom, and even in that moment, because God's will was accomplished, Satan was cast out, and those who followed him were cast out. The kingdom of God represents when God's will is honored, obeyed, and fulfilled. According to Jesus, your kingdom come. What that looks like is when your will is done on earth in the same way that it is done in heaven well, this is happening, if you go back to Luke 9, the disciples go out, they're, they're fulfilling this mission that he is, he's put them on, and they're proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So it begins to spread. If you look at verse 7 of chapter 9, Herod, the Tetrarch, he was the ruler of that area, and we remember Herod, we've met him before here in Luke. He heard about everything that was going on. What's he hearing about? He's hearing about this authority over the spiritual realm. He's hearing about demons being cast out of people. And he's hearing about the healing. He's hearing about the physical world being impacted by this kingdom talk, kingdom of God. This good news keeps being proclaimed that it's good news Now, that's interesting, right? Because Herod's kind of like a king. He's a tetrarch. He's a ruler with authority. And he hears about everything that's going on, this evidence that a new kingdom has arrived. And with a new kingdom comes a new king. He was perplexed. Why is he perplexed? He's perplexed, I think, because of the message. He's perplexed about this good news spreading. What's wrong with my kingdom? What's wrong with my rule? Why are so people eager to, re, to replace me and embrace this good news? I think he's also perplexed because he thought he had dealt with this. He thought he had dealt with this message of a new kingdom. You read there in, in verse 7 and following, He was perplexed because some said that John, John the Baptist, had been raised from the dead. Wow. People had heard that resurrections were taking place. Jesus had resurrected people from the dead. This this one who is proclaiming this, this kingdom of God and this good news, maybe it's John. Maybe he's risen from the dead. Others said that Elijah had appeared. Maybe this is the fulfillment of the promised Elijah, who was actually fulfilled in John the Baptist. Elijah had appeared again like promised. Others were saying, no, it's one of the ancient prophets, one of the other prophets of our, of our Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, had risen. They've come back and they're proclaiming this good news. Don't miss that good news in the kingdom of God are instantly associated with new life. In, in, our, in our realm, in our science world, if you will, or in our physical world, the resurrection from the dead is, is, is craziness. doesn't make any sense. We don't know how it's possible. But when people are talking about the kingdom of God and they're listening to the good news, it's not crazy at all to think of someone being risen from the dead, death being conquered, and someone coming back to life. Because the kingdom of God has authority over the spiritual realm in the physical realm. So some think it's John the Baptist. Others think it's Elijah. Some think it's another prophet. Listen to to Herod's response to these reports. He says, I beheaded John. I killed him. But who is this that I hear such things about? Herod's not buying into the resurrection theory. Who is this? This has got to be somebody else. Who is this that I hear such things about, that he has such authority, he has such good news this kingdom of God, and it says he wanted to see him. We don't know what his motive is. We're just told Luke records he wants to see, Herod wants to see this one that everyone's talking about. So this is playing out, and then we read the apostles, they come back, they returned, it tells us, and they reported to Jesus all that they had done. And I love this, he takes them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. They've been on this ministry, they've been out, proclaiming the good news, healing people, teaching about the kingdom, and they come back and, and I think they're excited and, they're, and maybe there's a few disappointments and there's curiosity and some questions, but it appears that they're physically, maybe spiritually exhausted. They're spent. They gave their all, potentially, and he sees that and he takes them to a private place. He, they, he takes them on a retreat. But we read that the crowds find this out. When the crowds found out, they followed him. They followed Jesus. Jesus. And when the crowds show up in Bethsaida, he welcomes them. He welcomes them and he speaks to them. Do you see what he says? He speaks to them about the kingdom of God. He gives them the good news of the kingdom of God and he cures those who need healing. Here's the second reason I believe the kingdom of God is such good news. is because not only is the kingdom of God here and God's present and he's come to us, but the kingdom of God is for us. It's ours. It's, it's for anyone who is willing to follow Jesus. And I don't think it's, it's I think it's intentional that Luke records in the middle of this, because it kind of feels out of place. Go out and do this. They go out, they're teaching, they're proclaiming. And then we hear about Herod for a couple of sentences. And then the people come, the disciples come back and they report. And Je- Why is that in there? Because the reality is not everybody sees the good news of the kingdom of God as good news. And Herod's one of those people that's really struggling with it. He didn't like it when John spoke his message about Jesus and about a holy life, repentance. Remember, that was John's primary message was repentance. Stop living the way you're living. Turn from your sin and prepare for the kingdom of God, for the king who's coming. And Herod was not living a holy life, and he took offense to John's challenge to repent, and he had him beheaded. The kingdom of God is ours, the ours in us human beings. It's for God's creation. It's for anyone who is willing to follow Jesus. The crowd represents those. there. Maybe some are just curious. Maybe they don't fully get it. But unlike Herod, who's, you know, I need to figure out what's going on here, and I want to see this guy. Maybe he wants to behead, try to behead this guy. I don't know. But the crowd just wants Jesus. They continue to look for Jesus. And the disciples come back to Jesus. And when they encounter Jesus, he speaks to them. He speaks to the crowd. If I can try to capture this in a, and it's a long sentence, so bear with me, I would say it like this No matter who we are or what we've done, we must decide how we will respond to the news that Jesus is building a kingdom. And we must decide how we will respond to his invitation to live in his kingdom, under his authority, and enjoying his provision. The response, the, 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 the needed response that God is looking for, that God is asking from every one of us, from Herod to one of these, the crowd to his disciples, is what will you do with this news that Jesus is building a kingdom? And he's inviting you to be a part of his kingdom, to live under his authority, yes, because he has all power and all authority over the, the spiritual and the physical realm. And He's inviting us to come live in that kingdom under His authority, but also under His provision, under His care, no matter who we are or what we have done, whatever our past. Let me say this, would Herod have been welcome if he had come to Jesus in repentance and said, I was wrong, I'm sorry, I want to be a part of your family? Would he have been turned away or would he have been embraced? And everything that we have in God's Word that reveals who God is tells us that He would be welcomed. doesn't matter what we've done, what our past, what our, what our present is. We each must decide how we're going to respond to this news that Jesus is building a kingdom. He is a king come to earth, and He's building a kingdom, and we have to decide how we're going to respond to His invitation. Because the kingdom of God is for us, but we have to decide if we are for the kingdom if we're going to repent from the direction we've been living, if the, the direction Herod had been, been living, the direction every human being finds themselves living, God comes and says, I want you to repent. I want you to stop the direction you're going. Because here's the, here's the reality. Whatever direction we're choosing to go with our life, it's not in the direction of the kingdom of God. It's in the direction of the kingdom of Kurt. See, without Christ, outside his kingdom, I'm living in what I believe to be Kurt's kingdom. And I pursue and I chase after and I desire the things that are going to make me happy, fulfilled, content, powerful, whatever it might be. We have to each decide how we will respond to His invitation to live in His kingdom under His authority and with His provision. Our text goes on in verse 12. Same context, same events, but it tells us in verse 12 of chapter 9, late in the day late in the day. The sun is setting. It's, it's that dusk time. It's late afternoon, early evening. It's late in the day. And the twelve approach Him. They come to Jesus. It's been a long day. A lot's been going on. What we read in a few minutes is, is played out over, over days. And so it's, it's the end of this, this season of them being sent out and coming back and, and being together and the crowd showing up. And they come to Him and they say to Jesus, they say, send the crowd away. Send the crowd away so they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging because we're in a deserted place here. Now, there, there are people like us, so if I put myself in this situation, I probably have mixed uh, motivation here. You know, there's probably some motivation. Hey, these people are hungry. Uh, we'll learn in a minute. There's a lot of them, and, you know, we, we just can't take care of them. So let's be thoughtful. Let's let them go, Jesus. Let's, uh, let's end the service We're over time as it is, you know, so let's end it. It's been a long day. Let them go find food. And it's a genuine motivation. But there also could be the mixed in with that of what I would carry is, man, it's been a long day. It's been a long couple weeks. I would just like, you tried to pull us aside and have some quiet time and didn't work out so well because the crowd came, but maybe we can just have a nice evening together tonight, Jesus. You know, maybe we just send them out and then it's just us. Send them away. They need to find food and lodging. And we're out here in a deserted place where there's no access to food. And Jesus looks at them and he says, you give them some deed. You give them something to eat, he told them. And their response is, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Well, this, is, this is what we got, they said. Unless we go and buy food for all these people, is that what you're suggesting? Is that your response to our, our suggestion that you want us to go buy food for all these people? Luke records that there were about five thousand men, which obviously doesn't account for women and children. Many scholars estimate it's twelve to fifteen thousand people that are there—a large crowd—and they haven't prepared. They don't have food. You're, are you suggesting that we somehow buy food for all these people? Oh, you think Jesus was exasperating to his disciples sometimes? You ever thought that about him and? You, me, I have. Like, really, Jesus? He loves to answer a question with a question, and he loves to redirect. It's almost like he's not paying attention. It's almost like he doesn't understand what's happening. But then at the last minute, he reveals that he knows exactly what's happening, and he has a specific moment that he wants to create. He tells his disciples, okay, it's not what I'm suggesting. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. This is the first evidence of social distancing that we have in Scripture. Instead of 10, it was 50. He says, I want you to break them down. I want you to have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did so, and they had them all sit down in groups of 50 each. Then he takes the five loaves and the two fish. And based on this and other, other Gospels, he has them, he takes them, and he looks up to heaven, and he blesses them. He blesses and he breaks them. He begins to break them into pieces, the bread. He begins to break the bread and put it into baskets. And the disciples are all standing there. There's 15, potentially 12, 15,000 people on this, in this area, this deserted area, sitting in groups of 50, wondering what's happening. And I like to think that it got very quiet. I don't know that, but all eyes are probably on these 12 disciples gathered around the teacher, the rabbi. And, oh, look, he's praying. He's praying. Hold on. Shh. He's praying. I, can't, what is I don't know, I can't hear what he's saying, but he's looking up into heaven, and he's got, he, uh, he's got food. He's got some bread, and he's got some fish. Yes, we're going to eat. Wait a minute. There's like 15,000 of us. And they see him, they hear him, they watch this unfold. The disciples are standing around them, and he begins to fill their baskets with this Pieces of bread that he's breaking off. he just continues to break off, and he takes the fish and he begins to break it. And pretty soon Nathaniel's basket's full. Pretty soon Peter's baskets full, Pretty soon John's basket. Are you kidding me? And one by one, I just picture them going off and going to the first. Check it out. Look, look, and what? And now everybody's looking at the groups that are getting served first, because you never sit at the right table. Anybody else at the potluck? You're always at the last table. And they're watching this play out. They're watching the food. And, oh, I hope there's enough. I hope there's enough for me. Oh, I'm so hungry. And the kid's quiet. You know, oh, honey, we need to do something. Hold on, what? And it just continues. And they continue to walk through the crowd. And they bring basket after basket after basket after basket. He keeps giving them the pieces of fish and bread to the disciples to take to the crowd, to set before the crowd. And then one of the most beautiful, powerful statements in Scripture that we we cannot miss, everyone ate and everyone was filled, or everyone was satisfied. Everyone had their need met. And when it was all said and done, they picked up 12 baskets. Interesting? Every disciple. So they're doing this. I don't know how long this took. He keeps and and I just see Peter running back. They want more. They want more. My my basket's empty. And Jesus fills it. You know I don't I don't think it went and it magically appeared. I think the disciple had to stand there as he watched. This was as much for the disciples as it was for the crowd. And pretty soon the basket's full and they get everybody served. And all twelve disciples are standing there or holding or looking at a full basket. There's no shortage. There's no almost making it. Everyone ate. Everyone was filled. So here's my last thought. The kingdom of God is it's here. Jesus has brought it to us. The kingdom of God is ours. We're invited to be a part of his kingdom. And thirdly, the kingdom of God is life. It's life. Jesus is the giver. He is the sustainer of life. What a powerful, powerful lesson for these disciples. Go out and proclaim the good news. The kingdom of God is here. And I want you to proclaim to everybody. If a a town doesn't receive it, you know you've done your job. You shake off the dust. You go to the next town because this message is for people. I want people to know this, and then they come back and they tell them what's happened. And at the end of that season, they, he's people find them and they're crowding around Jesus. And this isn't the plan. All this is happening. Man, we just wanted to be with Jesus and talk about the kingdom of God and what he, what what we got to do and what we saw, what we experienced. And Jesus said, "Hold on, just tell them sit down." These people, yes, all whatever to all fifteen thousand, and then in the in the in the in the face of these disciples for them to see face to face, the disciples watched Jesus display his power and authority over the spiritual and the physical world because we're told he healed people and then he feeds them. The kingdom of God is life. If this hasn't already come into your mind, I want to put this, this, these thoughts there. He's the giver and the sustainer of life. He controls life. It's not a problem for him to multiply the physical world to material things to feed us. Jesus can provide for our needs no matter what our circumstances. And if you're struggling to connect this moment with our current moment, let me just help you. We we are in the same we are just as desperate or just as curious or just as wondering how God's going to meet our need how is God going to meet our economy how is God going to heal us physically how is God going to put things back together the way the good things the things that need to be put how is he going to do that is no different than 15,000 people going what they're going to feed us how are they going to feed us how is he going to have enough food for, for all of us from th-? it's the same same moment Jesus can provide for our needs in all circumstances and here's the last thought he has no limits And he cares about you. I want you to put those together. I want to put those together in my own heart and mind. He has no limits. He has all authority. He has all power over everything. And he cares about you. You get it? I hope we do. The one who has all power and authority to provide whatever need we might have is the same one who cares and loves, cares about and loves you. That's good news. That's good news. The kingdom of God is life. And the only response that I think is valid in our, in our confusion, in our questioning, in our fear, whatever it is that we're experiencing, whatever is in our mind, whatever we're thinking or our emotions might be, the only appropriate, the right response is to worship Him and to praise Him. And we're going to do that together. So I want to encourage you, if there's been things that are distracting you over the last few minutes as I've been speaking, I pray that you've heard from the Spirit of God. But I want to encourage you to just stop what you're doing, stop trying to multitask and come together. Come together around your device, the TV, because we're going to praise Him. And in a minute we're going to come to the Lord's table, but we first need to praise the name of Jesus Christ.